Warning, this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Due to the graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Welcome from wherever you are. This is The Demon Inside with your host, John Venom. If you want to review a different episode of The Demon Inside, you can find them on Spotify or Anchor. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. A new episode will come out every Monday. And now, to our show. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Welcome back to The Demon Inside. He began eating another man's face in Miami over the weekend. All new at 10. Four in your corners, Andre Sr. Finding out a drug ban just last year in Florida could be to blame for both these incidents. Yeah, Patrick, and we've been showing you since that time the frightening effects that bath salts can have on someone's body. But this latest case in Miami is shocking, and we've got to warn you downright disturbing. The guy was like tearing him to pieces with his mouth, so I told him, get off. This man sounds like he's describing a scene out of a movie, but he is not. He witnessed this Miami man literally chewing another man's face off before the suspect was shot and killed by police. The guy just stood his head up like that with a piece of flesh in his mouth and growled. This surveillance video shows the aftermath the victim who's off camera missing 75% of his face. What could have triggered this man to commit such a savage attack? Experts suspect bath salts. And one Naples nurse told us she saw something very similar just last week. It took about five guys and two uh, deputies to hold him down onto the bed. The patient was so out of control that he had to be medically paralyzed. He looked like he was possessed. Absolutely. He has the side effects of three different substances, um, Ritalin, uh, which is used for ADD, cocaine, and um, amphetamines. The combination of all three mimics speed and causes the body's temperature to rise, which may explain why at least the suspect in Miami was naked during the attack. It also sends the body into an excited rage. For somebody to do what this fellow did, it's pretty, um, he had to be like totally out of control. On May 26, 2012, Rudy Eugene assaulted Ronald Popo on the MacArthur Causeway in Miami, Florida. Shortly after 2 p.m., naked and an apparent drug-fueled rage, Eugene accused Popo of stealing his Bible, straddled and beat Popo, punched him, tore off his clothes, and gnawed at his face, removing 75 to 80 percent of Popo's face, including his eyes, making Popo go blind. As a result of the incident's shocking nature and subsequent worldwide media coverage, Eugene came to be dubbed the Miami Zombie, as well as the Causeway Cannibal. The attack ended when Eugene was shot and killed by a Miami police officer. Although friends and family have filled in details of Eugene's life, the reason for the attack remains unclear. 
Before Rudy Jean became infamous, he was a fairly ordinary guy. He liked sports, fast cars, action movies. Eugene graduated from North Miami Beach High School in 2000. He lived off and on with his mother and friends and did an assortment of odd jobs from selling CDs to working at McDonald's and telemarketing. He last worked washing cars at an automobile dealership. Lately, he spoke of buying his own mobile car wash business. He was always looking for ways to make money, not necessarily illegal, but sometimes he got in trouble with it said his lifelong friend Daniel Ruiz. But for Rudy to do something that graphic, that aggressive, that violent, that gruesome, that's what really troubling us. Rudy? Really Rudy? No. He said Eugene liked to freestyle rap and listen to music. He had his little problems but nothing too dramatic, Ruiz said. He was sane. His North Miami Beach High School classmates said other members of the class of 2000 wanted to spread the word that Eugene was better known for his stint playing defensive end in high school, doing generous favors for friends and cheering them up on bad days. In 2007, Rudy Eugene met Rakia Cross as they were both in their cars at a red light, made eye contact, and he honked the horn at her. Drawn to his good looks, Cross gave Eugene her phone number, the beginning of a rocky but enduring five-year relationship. Weeks after his death, Cross sat in the wood-paneled living room of her parents' modest home in Miami Gardens, the only place she says she feels safe outside of media scrutiny. Crying, she slowly scrolled through her cell phone, looking at pictures of Eugene, the most recent taken the day before he was killed. Cross, a dispatcher at the air conditioning company, talked softly about how they connected instantly, how after only five months, the couple moved into a two-bedroom apartment in Broward County. They spent time watching movies, riding go-karts, and reading the Bible. She kept the pantry stocked with his favorite snacks, famous Amos cookies, chocolate chip, and pecan. Rudy was sweet and kind, she said, the type of dude you want to be with forever. He was my heart. As friends and family try to piece together Eugene's final hours, a few of the gaps have been filled in. The evening before the attack, Christian, Eugene's longtime friend, said a troubled Eugene came over to visit Christian's brother. My brother said Rudy didn't look right, Christian said. Eugene said he needed to talk to my brother about something but never got a chance to say what it was. The next morning, Cross said Eugene was up at 5 a.m., scouring their closet for something, leaving heaps of clothing strewn across the room. He kissed his girlfriend on the lips and said, I love you, and walked out the door carrying his King James Bible and a brown book he used to jot down scriptures. It felt like he was searching for something, she said. I don't know what. An hour after he left, he called her cell phone. He called me to tell me that his car had broken down, he said. I'll be home, but I'm going to be a little late. Then he said, I'm going to call you right back. Eugene drove to Miami Beach to Urban Beach Week. His flag-draped purple Chevrolet Caprice eventually became disabled, and after spending 30 to 40 minutes filmed on security video in and around his car, according to eyewitnesses, he abandoned it about noon. 
and begin to cross the three-mile-long span of the MacArthur Causeway, stripping himself of his clothing and disposing of his driver's license as he advanced westward. His vehicle was eventually discovered and towed by Miami Beach police. Inside the car, police discovered a Bible and five empty water bottles, which they believe were recently consumed. Hours passed, Cross began to worry. It was unusual for Eugene not to check in. She said she called his cell phone dozens of times, tried his friends and finally drove the familiar streets of North Miami, hoping to spot his vehicle. The vehicle wouldn't be discovered until three days later at the impound lot. At 2 p.m., witnesses say that Eugene was dangling from one of the light posts on the causeway, acting like Tarzan, and then came upon 65-year-old Ronald Popple, who was sitting in the shade on the sidewalk. Eugene, whom Popple hardly knew, approached him in a friendly manner, but then complaining he couldn't score at the beach and souped up on something, started to talk about how they were going to die. Eugene accused Popo of stealing his Bible, and suddenly, without provocation, he pummeled, attacked, and strangled Popo. With wrestling holds, he started to bite at Popo's face, ripping the skin off of the bone, tearing his nose and cheeks, and then plucking both of his eyes out. A passing cyclist, Larry Vega, came upon the scene and alerted authorities via 911. Here are some of the 911 calls. Do you have an emergency? Yes, I do. What is your emergency? Listen, there's a naked man on the MacArthur's Causeway at the end of the Causeway coming towards this same boulevard. He is beating another man to a pulp right on top of the man, beating him. The man is bleeding. Somebody's beating on him. I, I'm, I'm a bus driver. I passed by and I saw what was happening. I no, pulled no, no, over. I'm not talking to my dispatcher. Okay. Okay, he's so it's on the, Okay, this is, the, he's been beating you, Sam? He's being another man. It's a naked oh, man. Naked man beating, beating another man. I'm beating him. Beating another, beating another man. Yeah, on the MacArthur Causeway, like towards the Miami Hill, it's at the end of the Causeway, but he's going to kill that okay. man. I promise you. Okay. Okay? Thank okay, you. Okay, ma'am. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Hi, right, how you doing? I'm just reporting um, uh, there's a naked uh, man uh, in front of the uh, Miami Herald building next to the highway. He's throwing his uh, clothes on the highway. Uh, Wait, is he on a pole? Or? Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he was next to a pole, actually. Uh, he was uh, taking his clothes off and throwing them into traffic. Uh, yeah, black male, uh, curly hair, Rastafarian uh, hair, uh, goatee. Uh, can't miss him. He's naked. All right, but it, it's on the express. What is that? The express? Well, he was in front of the expressway. He was on the sidewalk next to the expressway, but he definitely is on the uh, side of the Miami Herald building. Okay, so he's not on the expressway then? No, no, he's not. Well, yeah, he, he should have been on the expressway because the clothes are all over the expressway. Okay, but he's over by the Miami Herald. All right, yeah, find somebody over there. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, you can listen. But, okay. I mean, so he's, right. he's on the street or he's on the expressway? Because we've got to report that he was on the expressway. Uh, I, well, I can't say he was on the expressway, but I didn't see him there. He okay, but he's on the street I, now, though, by the Harold building. 
on the entrance ramp, uh, the exit ramp. Got a Miami Herald? Next to the Miami Herald, yes. Oh, okay, all right, we've got one over there. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. Hello, uh, Northeast 13th Street and North Bayshore Drive on the sidewalk, you know, the, uh, the causeway in MacArthur. There's that bike lane sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe two bums who were going at it with each other take up the whole lane. I think they're fighting or something. Northeast 13th Street and North Bayshore Drive. What's that? Northeast 13th Street and North Bayshore Drive. Yeah, just up the uh, causeway, in the, like, uh, pedestrian area. Okay, can I get a call right number, sir? Uh, well, I'm going to leave the area. Oh, okay. You don't want to leave me? Do you, do you want it? Do you want to call that number? Uh, just up, yeah, you can give it a number. It's just yeah. in case you keep it connected and I have to call you there. You said I'm, I'm leaving because I'm not sure what's going on there, but... You said it was three of them? I think two. Two? Were they black or white? Um, I black or Hispanic, dark, darker skin color, or maybe just very tan. And what what you say they were doing? Fighting with each other. They they almost knocked over an old lady who was fighting by. You said they were in the street. In the bike path. Or pedestrian walkway that crosses the MacArthur Causeway. Clearly visible from Northeast 13th Street and North Bayshore Drive. Okay. Alright. Thought you should know. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. No problem. Did you know if they had any weapons or anything? I don't believe they did. Okay, sir. Thank you. A few minutes later, Miami Police Department Officer Jose Ramirez arrived and after doing a double take at the spectacle warned Eugene to desist from attacking Papo. Eugene ignored the officer's warnings. Other officers on the scene state that when they ordered Eugene to back away from Papo, he turned at them and growled. Other eyewitnesses say that he was acting like a rabid dog. The attack ended at 2.13 p.m. with Officer Ramirez shooting Eugene once and having no effect, then shooting him four more times. The ordeal had been captured by a security camera on the Miami Herald building. The surveillance video shows that the attack continued for 18 minutes before help arrived. Cassandra Mateyer, this is not his character, she said. She went to middle school with Eugene. This type of behavior is very unexpected. He was a good person, a true friend. He was a nice, outgoing, ready-to-help-anybody kind of guy. I'm not just saying that. He really was that person. But even cl those closest to him say Eugene was an introspective and private person. Now they are left wondering if that quiet shielded something darker. Something that drove him to break with reality on a Saturday afternoon in May. Though it was widely speculated that Eugene was under the influence of bath salts, a powerful synthetic amphetamine 
that has fueled a handful of grisly flesh-eating attacks across the country. Toxicology tests showed Eugene's body was clean except for marijuana. Mental illness could also be a factor, though none of his friends or family say they noticed anything that would lead to that conclusion. I am shocked by the situation. I don't know what to say about it, how to interpret it, how to express it, said Frederick Christian, Eugene's close friend since they were teens. The only thing I know for sure is Rudy was something other than this monster people talk about. But there are others who believe Eugene was depressed or struggling within. Drugs can open the gateway to the demons inside of you. Whatever he took opened that gateway and a demon came out, said Joe Arriles, a friend of Eugene's since they attended church together as children. Whatever he was fighting, it came out. I believe in spiritual battles. I believe in demons. Rudy was fighting a demon that day, and he lost. Eugene's friend Bobby told CBS 4 News exclusively he knew his friend had a secret, but he died before finding out what it was. He said he had something that he wanted to tell us, but he didn't know that we would understand. Bobby said, I don't know what it was. Bobby and his friend Joe have known Eugene since middle school. More than 15 years later, they say the images of their friend lying naked after chewing the face off a stranger just don't line up with the man they know. I saw the video and that's not Rudy, Bobby said. Physically, it was Rudy, but mentally, that was not Rudy. I'm still in denial that he's gone, Joe said. I can't believe that's him. I can't believe what I heard. Eugene's friends say he wasn't a drinker or a drug addict. In fact, they say when they saw him last on the Thursday before his death, Eugene made a promise. His last words to me were that he wanted to get his life right and that he wanted to get closer to God, Bobby said, and he wanted to stop smoking pot. That's it. The bizarre details of the attack prompted speculation that the 31-year-old attacker was under the influence of harder drugs. Soon after the incident, for example, the head of the Miami Police Union publicly speculated that Eugene was on basalts, synthetic stimulants that had been blamed for seemingly psychotic episodes in other cases around the county. But the medical examiner, after seeking help from an outside forensic toxicology lab, could find no evidence of the common components of basalts in Eugene's system, nor did the lab find evidence of synthetic marijuana or LSD. The medical examiner also found that Eugene had not ingested cocaine, heroin, PCP, oxycodone, amphetamines, or any other street drugs other than marijuana. A drug not known for sparking violence. Within the limits of current technology, by both laboratories, marijuana is the only drug identified in the body of Mr. Rudy Eugene, the medical examiner's office said in a press release. The autopsy initially found evidence of a substance in Eugene's stomach that appeared to be undigested pills. Law enforcement sources told the Herald, but the medical examiner's press release Wednesday did not address what that substance may have been. The toxicology findings lend further mystery to Eugene's unprompted attack on Popo. The homeless man Eugene found dozing in the shade before attacking him. Eugene, who worked at a car wash, had a record 
of minor nonviolent drug offenses, though he was accused of threatening his mother in a domestic dispute in 2004. Cross, Eugene's on and off again girlfriend, is now convinced that Eugene's actions are the result of something supernatural that afflicted him. Somebody did something to him. Somebody put something on him. I know for sure that wasn't Rudy, Cross said on Wednesday. Pastor Jack Heckman said, I think Eugene was typical of what I see happening here in South Florida, especially Miami, where you have people that are very religious. They know about the Bible, but they're living a double life. They're entrenched in sin. I think, bottom line, Eugene was playing with religion and not being really sincere with God, said Pastor Jack Hackman of Impact Miami Church. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. So, this is the segment of the show where I try to figure out what it is that happened to Rudy Eugene. So what we'll do is we'll go through the logical, the medical, and spiritual. So for me, the logical, I don't think he's ever had an episode. Usually, um, anybody that has psychotic breaks is usually in their 20s or their late teens. Rudy Eugene was 31. He had never had any symptoms of any kind of mental disturbance, according to his friends and family, and I'm sure somebody would have noticed that. He only did marijuana, and he was talking about quitting. So they also came out and said bath salts, and they also said flaca, which is another drug kind of similar to bath salts. So in Miami at this time, they had a lot of different people taking flaca and bath salts, but it wasn't in his system. He didn't have LSD. He didn't have amphetamines. He had no drugs other than the marijuana. So as far as the tablets that they were talking about that he had taken, they could have been vitamins for all we know. They could have been anything, really. They could have been aspirins. Uh, even though his girlfriend said he didn't take aspirins. So, when we get into the spiritual of this, this is where I get a little concerned. Because it would have to be a demon. And for me, the demon that would do it is a Wasika. It's a Chinese supernatural being in Chinese mythology. It's depicted as a monkey-like aquatic demon. And it was first described in the early 9th century. So let me explain why I think this is what possessed him. So an aquatic demon, uh, Rudy Eugene was crossing the causeway, which is surrounded by water. Florida is pretty much surrounded by water. And the way that this demon attacked somebody, he went straight for the face, put him in a grapple hold, went straight for the face, started chewing on his face. Now, cannibalistic? No. Zombie? No. Cannibalistic would mean that he was eating the flesh. They found no flesh in his stomach. 
So he wasn't a cannibal. And a zombie? He wasn't a zombie. He was talking to Popo before he attacked him. This was a transition of possession. This demon was taking over, and all it takes is a little anger and for Rudy Eugene to see Popo with a Bible saying, that's my Bible, triggered anger, in which case the demon took over. And the demon started biting his face like a monkey would. If you've ever seen videos of monkeys attacking humans, that's what they do. They bite off human faces. They don't eat the meat. They just bite it off. So to me, was Wasiki? I hope I'm saying that right. But to me, this supernatural being is what possessed him. Don't forget to subscribe to The Demon Inside on Spotify, Anchor, or any other podcast directory or through our website, anchor.fm backslash The Demon Inside. A new episode of The Demon Inside comes out each Monday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Demon Inside Facebook page and on Instagram. We thank you for listening and hope you'll join me next Monday for a new Demon Inside. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm John Venom. We'll see you next time, if I don't get possessed. The Demon Inside was created and written by James Porter. It's a production of Venomous Entertainment. Theme music, Demon Inside, is on the album Conjure One by Reese Fulber. Background music was created by Lucas Key.